Hello, everybody, and welcome to Time and Attention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the co-host of the show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number one hundo Q and A spectacular. One hundred. How does that feel? Kind of crazy. Let me uh, crack the the top off this uh, this fella right here. We have a bottle of alcohol-free champagne to celebrate. Yeah, it's what we could find around the house. Yeah. Why why do we have this? Um. Well, sometimes you don't drink, and yeah. so when there's celebratory stuff, I think my mom brought that over for a birthday or New Year's. New Year's. Yeah, I bought this. Oh, I bought this for you for New Year's when you weren't drinking. Okay. And I mean, it's good for. You can hear all the Chris is putting the paraphernalia the sound effects. But yeah, I mean, Canada put out new guidelines to cut all drinking, so we're being responsible and reducing our alcohol content while still celebrating. Because right, a hundred, you ready? Yes, that'll be a very okay. satisfying sound. I hope it comes through on the podcast. I'll try to get it on the mic here. Watch your eyes. Hey, hey. there it is. Oh, it didn't overflow. Nice. I love when it overflows off the top. Uh, I mean, it's not alcoholic. Oh, I don't know how at, real this is. Look at the waveform. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can see the pop. Welcome, everybody, to episode 100. A celebratory episode. Yeah, we are celebrating with your questions and hopefully our answers. Uh, this is episode number 100. We were looking at the stats before we started the pod today. Mm-hmm. 201 countries have tuned into the podcast. Which is a little surprising. Yeah, given there's 195 countries, according to (laughs) to Google. Yeah, so I don't know exactly how this uh, software is counting countries, but it's pretty nice to know so many people are listening to the show. And maybe even enjoying it. Hopefully. I'm guessing out of all these people, there's uh, somebody out there. I mean, we've been getting more and more people all the time, so it's been pretty cool. That's been a rewarding thing about the podcast. One, One sec, let's... Let's clink. Cheers. Congratulations. One hundo. Is this how you drink champagne? No. Chris is putting his whole mouth around the champagne flute. That is not how one drinks champagne. Oh, this tastes like apple juice. It does taste like apple juice. Well, that's nice. So 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. We're still ad free. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. People have approached. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to make some cash? Um, I think for now, I think the format is nicely suited to not having ads. And it's more work. We have to, we would have to record the ads. We'd have to insert them. And then if you do ads, you have to do the dynamic ad insertion thing. So we would need an insertion point on it. And no, no, it's, it's fun just to do this as a, uh, as a passion project. And it's just something we do together, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And maybe if listening explodes on the podcast. Yeah. If we reach billions of people. Billions. Billions. (laughs) Kind of. But it's kind of nice saying no to that right now. Yeah. I like the format as it is right now. Yeah. It is a good format. The Mm -hmm. odd uh, interview. What would have been some interview highlights? I, okay, so I listened to the Gloria Mark one. What, I mean, this think? is just, I think this is a recency bias where I very yes. recently listened to it. So Most definitely front is. of mind. Yeah. But I loved it. And I haven't read her book yet. Um, normally I do keep up with your the books that you're doing interviews with, but this has been just a very busy term. And I didn't. So, <laughs> But it made me really want to read the book and I thought it was really interesting. So yeah, I think that was a highlight in the front of my mind right now. 
I mean, we've had some really wonderful interviews over the years. Yeah, so. some good guests. Yeah. James Clear. Uh, Cal, Laura, Newport. Cal Newport. Cal Newport. Uh, Laura Vanderkam. Laura Vanderkam. Uh, David Allen. Yeah. The GT. We, we should have uh, some of these recurring characters back. I, I think a bunch of them are recurring. Cal's been yeah. on multiple times. Laura's been on multiple times. has been on multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any favorites, uh, favorite guest appearances, let us know. Or requests. Yeah, or requests. Yeah, we're, we're lucky we can probably... Get somebody. Don't yeah. don't suggest like Barack Obama or any any <laughs> anybody of of that caliber. But yeah, hopefully you're enjoying the show so far. So for this episode, we wanted to do uh, a Q and A spectacular, and, and so we have a, a lot of cues that have been submitted, uh, and we're gonna a some of them. Can I start with a question for me? For oh, from, for you from me. Sorry. Oh, from you. Yeah, from me. To what's, me? Yeah, to you. And I just like a general question. Like, what's the this biggest... This was not in the show notes. No. I thought I you, mean, you're, you're, the show notes are religion for you. This this must be a feeling like you're stepping off a cliff. It's a weird format today. But all... No, what's the like biggest lesson you've taken away from this? Ooh. I mean, we've done a hundred of these. Yeah. And you've done actually a hundred. I don't do all a hundred because there have been some interviews and I don't do those. I guess I have been on all 100. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the so common, what are the uh, biggest lessons for you? For me, don't take breaks from publishing. Mm. Uh, I think a big lesson with something like this, and uh, uh, my friend Zach Lovett, who's uh, a listener of of the podcast, he he calls it well, it's it's just the name for it, a parasocial relationship where you listen to people talking and you feel like you know them, even though they don't know you. And I think that's, it's such a big phenomenon with podcasts where you uh, develop this parasocial relationship with the folks that you get to befriend over the shows. And so we, we took a one summer off. And speaking of statistics, I noticed a noticeable dip after that summer we took off. And I think it's exactly because of that reason. It's uh, a podcast is first and foremost about this relationship that we have with listeners, whether that's one-sided, whether that's two-sided, you know, hopefully we can make it a bit more interactive over time going forward in some way or another. Um, but yeah, I think that that uh, consistency, that relationship um, is so key. And you look at the stats out there, and I was looking at the stats before because I was thinking, oh, 100 is actually a milestone we're celebrating. We've been doing this for uh, around four years now, which is pretty exciting. It's bi-weekly, so it's not mm-hmm. as huge of a commitment as uh, as other shows, but still, it's it's been consistent throughout that time. Uh, 6% of podcasts haven't made it through two episodes. Uh, 12% of podcasts only have one episode, and 50% of podcasts have 14 or fewer episodes. I think that in number is maybe slightly biased because some shows are like limited series. But I mean, the big takeaway is still like not a lot of podcasts do have a lot of episodes, which yeah. is cool. Like, I mean, I'm kind of impressed we've done this for so long. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the key is just the consistency over time with, um, with content and, and realizing that the consistency is what leads to that relationship. And so in that relationship is what leads to people actually enjoying a show, hopefully, and getting benefit from it. Um, Another one is just how much power there is in making iterative improvements on something. 
Um, and so this is something that, you know, it's, it's an approach. It's a growth mindset. It's always looking for opportunities to, to improve. But if I go back and listen to some of the old episodes, it's very difficult to do. Uh, we, we've still, we still have them out there in the catalog because we think they're helpful, but everything from the sound quality, uh, the interviews, the questions that, uh, that I had, like I, I would do such a different job. Um, and that, that, that kind of leads to another lesson is for interviews, they have to be driven by curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I would ask questions that I don't think I'm, I don't know if I'm a great interviewer, uh, but it is something that I'm working on getting better at over time. And I think a primary way that I've improved with that is letting curiosity drive what I'm, what I'm asking. Because uh, mm-hmm. if I'm curious about something, other people likely are as well. And it comes across in the interview and uh, the interviewer responds to curiosity and not just asking cookie cutter questions. So why did you write this book? So... You know, it's uh, there. There's uh, more of a connection there. Hmm, interesting. What have you learned? Um, it's funny you talking about listening to old episodes because I did a little bit of that before this episode. Just thinking, really? All right, what did it sound like at the beginning? And I think the biggest thing is so technical. Where I just I've gotten much more conscious about slowing down. Where mm. I think I talked very quickly. That's always my my. That's always my problem. I talk, ex- I'm very, I get excited. I talk quickly. It's not a nervous thing. It's just an excitement thing because I get very excited about things very easily. And that comes through in my teaching. It comes through in my talks. When I get excited, I, I talk fast and it comes mm. through here too. And I think listening to myself talk has actually been kind of a good reminder. Like I, I listen to this every two weeks, like everybody else. You do? Yeah, of course. And it, every now and then I notice when I, get excited and talk too fast. And uh, it's a good reminder every two weeks to make sure I slow down when I talk. And you sound so much more confident when you slow down too. Yeah, it's not. And I, I know it sounds like a nervous thing when you talk fast, but for me, it's it's genuinely just an excitement thing. It definitely is. Yeah. yeah. I get excited about things. For those who listen to the podcast, you probably noticed that. But apologies if I ever talk too no, fast. I'm just no, enthusiastic. So. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. And, and people love you on the show. Well, that's yeah. nice. Most of them. Yeah, I'm sure some people don't. Some people hate listen, do you think? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Arden. (laughs) I mean, there's probably somebody who thinks I have vocal fry or something. That's something people always criticize women for. So Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. You see this all the time. So I'm sure somebody thinks that. But Oh, I don't think you have vocal fry. I've never heard it, so it's okay. Who who said you had a sexy voice? My mom. Your (laughs) mother. Yeah, my mom. She was listening to the podcast and said you had a sexy voice. Yeah, that is true. I, I don't know what to make of that. But is this the thanks, only Pauline. episode where preamble is allowed? We always have preamble. Okay, yeah. That's a very divisive issue. Yeah, the re- half of the reviews love it. The other half can't stand it. Yeah, you get what you get. It's free. <laughs> I think that's ultimately the goal with the podcast is, and, and for productivity advice in general is, you know, have fun and actually enjoy it, but still make back the time you spend inside of it. And so I, th- I think that's the thing. Even if there's a bit of preamble in front of a just a 30-minute episode, it's fine. Makes yeah. it digestible. Yeah. Good stuff. Shall we get to the questions? Let's get to the questions. All right, Mike. Well, we had to put this first. 
Because Mike is from the place that your uh, your mother's side of the family is from. Saskatoon. S- Saskatoon. Uh, Saskatchewan. Yes, yeah, uh, called uh, uh, colloquially in Canada, Saskabush. No, that's not true. That's just a Chris thing, just for the record. <laughs> no, it's not. If you listen to the Core Blund song, Long Gone Saskatchewan, there's the line, uh, Saskabush is pretty. Yep, she's pretty flat. It is. So Saskatchewan is in the middle of Canada. It's all prairie land. It's beautiful. Um, Not a lot of people go there because it's kind of like in the middle of Canada. Yeah. It's not very population dense, but it's a beautiful part of this country. Let's be honest. It's pretty flat. There isn't a ton to see. Oh, I mean, the skies are beautiful. It's called like the land of living skies, right? You can get there best, some of the best northern lights there. Oh, actually, that's true. Yeah. All right. I I, I think uh, I need to retract that statement. But Mike from Saskatoon. What are a few productivity apps or accessories you couldn't live without? Ooh. I like the accessory bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We've talked about this a lot on different episodes, but highlight reel for me is, yeah. I mean, fantastic hell. I basically live by my calendar. That has gotten more expensive. Yeah, uh, Considerably I know. more expensive. I saw that and it makes me a little uncomfortable because yeah. it's gotten prohibitively expensive. And it also has started up upcharging for different features. Like if mm, I want to oh, add really? Microsoft Teams links into calendar events, you have to subscribe to a higher level when I'm already subscribed. Like I'm already paying for this. So I don't love that. I think we're grandfathered into an older plan because I've had it forever. But the fact that it doesn't support like Microsoft Teams integrations is kind of annoying. So that said, the version I'm using, I love because it has multiple time zones, which for me is really helpful when I work with people from all over the world. Um, and I basically live by my calendar. Like I plan my whole week there. Yeah, same. It's, it's ultimately worth the investment, but it sucks when the price goes up 20, yeah. 30, however uh, many percent it went up by. That's more um, than inflation. Way more than inflation and way more than should be charged by a recurring uh, calendar app, which I, I thought, okay, this is absolutely rid- ridiculous. If there's an alternative, I would use it. But Fantastical, the best app, uh, best calendar app out there if you're in the Apple ecosystem, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the other two I use are a lot cheaper and one is free. Focusmate, you can get a free membership. Oh, but it's like five It's $5 bucks a, a month yeah. and they're actually amazing about... I mean, so they have in your profile, you can say one feature you wish it had. Huh. Every single time I put a feature in my things I wish it had, they add it. Wow. So I I've, I just love Focusmate. They're constantly improving it. And it's, yeah. so for those of you who don't know, Focusmate is basically a, a video call platform where you, for an hour or half an hour or 90 minutes now, they added a longer session time, you have a you basically tell your partner what you, this random person you've been partnered with, you tell them what you want to work on, you work on that thing for an hour and at the end they check in and you see how you did. And it's just an accountability partner. But I think having that, I often start my day with an accountability partner because starting is always the hardest, especially with stuff like writing. Yeah. And you just jump right in. Yeah. But once you start, it's so much easier. And so I think just having that kind of accountability buddy at the beginning of my kind of focus time each day is really helpful. That's what I use it for too. If if I'm going through a period of the day where I'm not as productive as I know I could be, mm-hmm. it's instant accountability. It's a way of getting in the track yeah. uh, early. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another one 
that I love well, is, this, is, is the this, one I uh, the physical thing in front of me here. It's called the Timeular. Yeah. I think we talked about this on a, an episode, yeah, didn't we? we had an episode dedicated to this and, oh, the Remarkable. Oh, the Remarkable too, yeah. It, it, uh, so check that out if you want our full review of this. Um, but this is a, how many, uh, it's a decahedron. Uh, so it's, it has a bunch of sides and whatever, it's a time tracking decahedron. And so whatever side is facing up, that's what the app tracks. And no time tracking method has ever stuck with me until the Timeular came along. I think, um, I forget how much it is every month, uh, but it's, uh, it's well worth the investment and pays for itself, just like Focusmate. I think it's about $5 a month. It's not very much, mm. but... I love the Timeular. These things add up. I, oh, for they're, sure. They're all helpful. I love the Timeular so, so much. I use it all day, pretty much every day. I also find it helpful to go back and think of how I'm spending my time. So I can go back and yeah. say, what did I spend all my time on in March? Or how did that compare with February? And I can also see like how different semesters I'm spending time on different things. And so I like the kind of summaries it gives you as well, where you can figure out what time of day you seem to be most productive yeah. or when things are kind of broken up. And, and the app is very visual. Yeah. So uh, I have comms and ad- communications and admin as one of those sides. And so I can see visually at the end of the week whether I spent too much time mm-hmm. on things like that. Content creation is one I try to maximize. Yeah. And so if you have these uh, different elements of your work that you're trying to minimize, maximize, uh, you can see very visually, very clearly yeah. uh, what you need to spend more time on, less time on. Um, it's visual, it's simple, it's tactical, it is pretty seamless. It's, it's again, one of these pieces of software, much like Focusmate, where you know you pay a monthly fee, but you support the development of this application. There's mm-hmm. constant updates for these things. Uh, highly, highly recommended. Yeah, the visual, like how visual it is, is awesome. I love, I, yeah, it hadn't even occurred to me, but I definitely do that where I, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen enough yellow and green this week, which yeah. are my two like writing and kind of analysis set code or whatever categories. And I uh, was really excited when I when I think about like, oh, I've been doing a lot of yellow and green or oh, I'm not doing enough yellow and green. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Love it. Next question. Oh, yeah. this is an anonymous one. Well, it, okay, so it's not anonymous. Um, what what it is? Some people didn't specify uh, whether they uh, wanted their names to be mentioned on the podcast, uh, um, and so Mike from Saskabush did. But we don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to. You know, we don't want to assume. Yeah. So this person, anonymous, asks, "Do you actually, st- or do you both still actually enjoy doing the podcast together?" No. <laughs> no. I, okay. Here's the honest truth. Sometimes the podcast feels like a chore because it's something you have to do. And this is how I feel about every single thing I have to do in my work. Uh, writing blog posts, I feel this way sometimes as well. But then we get started. And as soon as we get started, it's fine. I, and I, I love it. Um, it's fun to connect with you, it, even if it is kind of a like a, a performative. Is mm-hmm. that the word? Like it, it's a bit performative in a way. Um, but I feel the performative nature has declined over time, where we can just kind of have a genuine conversation, which I love. It's it's like the shell the uh, around it has kind of eroded, which I really like. And so the answer is ultimately yes, but while uh, while we're doing it and. The thing I dislike is editing. Mm. 
Uh, so if, <laughs> if recording it is fun, and I think that's where the the tedium comes from for me mm. beforehand, because I know like, okay, we'll have a fun conversation. We'll, you know, enjoy ourselves 20 or 30 minutes. Who cares? Um, just chatting about things we're interested in. But oh, then there's the edit. And the edit takes, <laughs> I, I like, so I edit it myself because I, I, I like kind of yeah. molding the show a little bit. And that's a skill I want to actively get better at over time because it's, it's a fun skill to have. Um, but in the moment when you have to edit something, that's the, the tedious part. So yes, when we're doing it, yes, when we're talking, uh, no, when I'm editing and no, when I realize that I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I think yeah. so. What I don't have you? that problem. So yeah, I, you get the good parts. I mean, that's the only way I would sign up for doing this. Cause I have, yeah, um, yeah. if you've listened to the show, you know, I've uh, pushed back on even being called a co-host, even though yeah. I'm on more than half of the shows. And the number of emails that people send in that were, uh, yeah, yeah that, I know. about you not being a, a co-host. Of the, yeah, they're just we have to call you a co-host because the emails won't. I know. Uh, won't end. Well, thank you all for coming to my aid, but I don't uh, want to be called a co-host. No, but no, I'm happy. It's okay. So that said, I actually but really do love e- doing this with you. But do email about Arden's vocal fry. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Don't. I uh, I'm so kidding. <laughs> I don't think I actually do that. No, you so. don't. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. But so I think I about two years ago, I stopped. I guess I I used to think of this very much as kind of a, a distraction from my yeah. work, right? Where I was in the middle of my PhD and everything I did, I felt like it was, if it wasn't my thesis, it, I was not, I shouldn't be doing it, mm. right? I think everybody feels that way when they're doing a PhD to some extent where you feel like any time that's not spent actively on your thesis, you feel like you're not doing things right. Like you feel like you're wasting your time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that comes from all sorts of sources, internal and external where people do think you should be spending all of your time on your thesis. And that's to some extent, definitely true. But I started thinking of this as like time with you rather than like a Mm. different job. Even though it's performative and but it's I for mean it's still audience. like fun. It's a fun thing we do together. Yeah. And yeah. as soon as I shifted away from thinking of it as a, a distraction from my PhD to just something I get to do with you, yeah, um, I've started enjoying it a lot more. A shift that happened for me too is realizing. Going to sound like a humble brag, but I promise it isn't. That a lot of people listen to the show. And that it's a genuine opportunity mm-hmm. to help people out yeah. by sharing ideas, for sh- sharing research, sharing interviews, like realizing that uh, really kind of uh, aligned things in, in my mind. Yeah. Oh, what, one other turning point for you was when we renamed the show and got the new artwork. Oh, man. I don't know. I hated the old name so, so much. <laughs> yeah. And it made me reluctant to ever talk about it because I just, I couldn't stand the name. <laughs> and Yeah, I it wasn't that... <laughs> as good of a, a name as Time and Attention. Oh, I know. And I think I know that's a big mental hang-up, obviously. But it was a big hang-up for me. Yeah. And changing that helped a lot. So I, I, I love doing this with you now. It's been and, fun. And the new artwork. Oh, yeah. So if you, one thing I love about seeing the artwork is how there's the two arrows that point out from the artwork Mm -hmm. and they always point to something different on the page that they're on because the the artwork never exists in isolation. It's always like on a podcast page. It's Mm -hmm. always on a website. And so the arrows always point, I think on Apple Podcasts, the top arrow points to the name of the show and Mm -hmm. the bottom arrow points to the subscribe button. And I don't know if Anna, (laughs) who is our... uh, basically genius 
gifted designer friend who came up with the artwork did that intentionally. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. But yeah, yeah nice little Easter egg, I, I suppose. Way to go, Anna. What does it point at? Send us screenshots. Okay, question number three uh, from Maggie in Austin, Texas. Oh, this is a uh, question for you. Uh, do you... Th- oh, okay. This one. Okay. Apparently you were saying that you get asked I get this, this all the time. A lot, which sounds uh, honestly kind of annoying to get. But uh, <laughs> the question is, do you think having a productivity expert at home, they're referring to me, uh, makes you more productive? All right. There's a lot to unpack in this question. And I've, oh, I've thought about this because I get asked this a lot. There's a lot of assumptions yeah. in this question. So, Can we unpack the assumptions? Sorry, Maggie. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. So this is interesting because I think people ask me this, but I mean, there's a selection bias here where I am with you and like have been really supportive of all this work because I'm also interested in this. Like that's not random. You don't usually pick somebody who you like detest what they do or like, because you partner up with people who have similar interests well, I, I to you. I detest what you do. It threatens me. I find it threatening how you're so smart. You feel threatened by an econ professor? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> wow. All but, that, I, but, sorry, sorry. but all that to say, I mean, so I do think we are together because we have a lot of similar interests. And this idea of like how to get better at doing things and thinking how like th- thoughtfully being thoughtful about your work. Those are things we both do. And so I've always been interested in the stuff you you talk about and the fact that we can just talk about it together. I don't know if that, I don't, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem where I'm like, I don't know what made me productive or what makes me productive, but I've always been interested in thinking through like my workflow and how I structure my work. And I don't think it hurts to have somebody in house who's like passionate about thinking, like talking about that with you. Mm. I don't think you directly make me more productive. Um, I don't think I'm learning a lot of, well, I definitely learned a lot of tips from you actually. So maybe, I guess my answer is kind of, but I what? think, really? I think um, that's also a function of like, I'm interested in this as well, which is largely why we're together. Cause we, not, that's not largely why, but we have no, a lot of, that's definitely not largely <laughs> but we have why. similar interests, right? And this is one of them. And so maybe a little, but I'm not going to give you all my credit. I'm with you cause you're good looking. Oh, well, thanks. No, I'm back at you. <laughs> Okay, so that and embedded in that question is always the assumption that I'm more productive than you are. Oh yeah, and I right? don't always think that's true. Depends on the day. I think you're much better at being deliberate about breaks than I am, which probably makes you more productive in the long run. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Hard to know because I've only just gotten out of PhD slash working three jobs while doing that, so yeah. that meant I couldn't take breaks. So I don't know. We'll see how we'll things see. play out. Yeah. I mean, it ultimately doesn't really matter as long as we're productive enough. Oh, yeah. It doesn't hurt to be married to a productivity expert. I'll say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except for all the travel. That must be kind of a no. Okay. Uh, f- fan of the pod and uh, of the book, How to Calm Your Mind. Not the other two. Not the other two. You Just How that. to Calm Your Mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I-, I was inspired by the book and I'm trying to do my own dopamine fast for one month. Uh, check email and phone only a few designated times a day, no social media, etc. Uh, but it is so hard. Ha-ha. Uh, oh, there's an LOL, but I pronounced it out loud. That's a ha-ha. Uh, you're a ha-ha kind of person, eh? Not a LOL? I guess so. I've actually been consciously trying not to include ha-ha or LOL in messages lately. 
You should be more like my father. My, my father doesn't use either, he, but he posts words about how he reacts to messages. Oh, these uh, are so, great. So he'll say like, chuckling quietly to myself, he'll, he'll write out those words. Or he'll say, uh, hard laughter punctuated by... Like, it, it's, it's actually... Uh, Pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, th- those messages are funny in and of themselves. Um, uh, but how do you make it through the first few days? Any tips? So for the, we, we should do an episode on, on stimulation fasting, actually. Um, it, it's essentially a, a period of time where you go without dopaminergic stimulation. So um, things that are very novel, that uh, produce a dopamine surge in our minds. Um, and the key is the substitutes. If you don't have good substitutes, you're going to be twiddling your thumbs for the first uh, quite some time, as, as I found for the first one. Uh, but for the second one, I had some substitutes available. I had a hobby that I wanted to pick back up. And so when I felt the the twitch, the urge to distract myself, it still wasn't easy and, and painless at the very beginning, especially. But at least that discomfort of uh, settling down into a new lower level of mental stimulation could be channeled into something that I found rewarding, which was, for me was playing the piano. Mm. I've gotten better at it over time. And so finding a new hobby that you want to invest in, it's a great, great time to pick up an old hobby, uh, take up a new one. Nice. We should, we should do an episode on that. That sounds good. All right. Next question. Final question. Yeah. Sorry with, if we can't get to everybody's. Yeah. Uh, can you and Arden perhaps share a day in your life about how you both manage your time? Thank you. Nice. And this is anonymous. Anonymous. Okay. So for me, I'm a professor and I typically don't have one standard day. I have maybe a standard week and not even really that standard, but I have teaching days and research days because on days where I teach, that's three hours of my day, plus usually at least an hour of prep right before just to make sure I remember the highlights that I want to focus on. And that's not including prep time that I've already allocated earlier, usually several weeks before to make sure my lectures are all ready and I know how, what I want to discuss in the readings and stuff. And so I usually dedicate two to three days of my week that are focused entirely on teaching. And that's pretty standard. About half of my time is teaching, half is research. So those two days, I'm also, those are the days where, I, or the two or three days, I also, um, that's when I'm also focused on getting meetings done. So I, I typically have a lot of student meetings where people want to meet and talk about assignments or quizzes or questions about the problems that I give them. How many meetings would you say you have a week? Um, so I try to make myself very available for students if they have questions. And so um, quite a lot, I think, hmm. especially during teaching times, I have a lot of meetings with students, but I love that. Teaching is like one of my favorite parts of my job. So I'm, I feel grateful I get to meet with them all. So, hmm. and the fact that my classes are so small because I teach in a graduate school means that I do get to have lots of one-on-one time, which I love. So, hmm. um, yeah. I think this is one area where it can take up a lot of time, but because I've really gotten good at batching them where I'll usually try to do like five or six student meetings back to back, um, that's made it a lot more manageable. And so I typically have two, maybe three days of my week where I dedicate to lecture prep, actual teaching and student meetings. Um, And that will, I mean, that's how I structure those days to make sure meetings are kind of grouped. My teaching, I have gaps right before and after because after I'm also usually really tired. Um, Yeah, that that would be exhausting. A three hour. It's uh, a little performative, right? When you're teaching because you're up there for three hours. And you're, I mean, it's vocally like pretty tiring. So that would make the vocal fry really. (laughs) 
an issue, wouldn't it? <laughs> Maybe. But so, I mean, I'm, I typically have gotten pretty good at making sure I have time before and after teaching. And then I, I always make sure I have enough time to kind of prep several weeks out ahead of time on those days. Um, so that's how I structure those days. But then the other two to three days, I usually work one day on the weekend. Um, the other two to three days a week, I dedicate to research. And those are like sacred time where I have one day a week where I just literally do not allow meetings unless something like huge interrupts, like if there's something absolutely urgent. Um, but I do try to dedicate Mondays um, to like have an anti-meeting in my calendar where I block off the whole day. So um, nobody books you. So nobody books me. And it's a reminder to myself that that's for me, not for meetings. And that's the day where I typically, I'll try to do the, I, I mean, I don't usually start my day until around nine. So in the mornings, every morning, whether it's a teaching or a research day, I usually try to work out or have like a nice kind of ease into my day. And then I bike to campus most days, even in the winter. It's very possible. You just got to get the right gear. Um, but then I bike into campus and I, um, if I'm doing research, I kind of figured out usually ahead of time what research project I'm focusing on and what specific project. I think planning out my week ahead of time is a huge part of how I manage my time. So I plan in my calendar, like what specific tasks I'm going to work on, not just like block projects. I say, I'm working on this section of a paper or this part of my code between this on this morning. And then on the afternoon, I might shift gears into a different part of a paper. And because I've time tracked forever, I've gotten pretty good at predicting how long things are going to take me. And so if I think it's going to take me three hours to update a very specific part of my code and the analysis tables that come out of that, I'm usually pretty close to that. So that's how I structure my week. Cool. I figure out what my, my priorities are for each week and I plan ahead and then... I do that at a monthly level too, where I usually block off like a few weeks that I focus on specific projects. Mm. Yeah. And then use that to figure out how I spend my week, my day. Very nice. Yeah. I'm actually really happy with how this has come together. I think this year has made me a lot better. I think the first year as a prof is always a little hard and I've yeah. found really good, really good way to balance teaching and, and research. And you've gotten research Done and too, I've gotten which, research done. I feel like yeah. I've gotten way more research done as a prof when you have more to do than I did as a PhD student, which is... Well, uh, you also have a productivity expert at home. Oh, yes. <laughs> that must be the secret. <laughs> yeah. Um, How about you? Yeah. I, I have a weird time management system. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it's one I've settled into with a lot of experimentation over mm -hmm. the last decade or so. Uh, I manage my day in plain text. Uh, using Simple Note, which I don't, I, I don't know if I can advise that, mm -hmm. uh, but essentially I have I, I explained it on the podcast before, kind of uh, breaking down the different things that I want to accomplish by the end of the day uh, within the various contexts of my life. Usually that means a work context and a home context, but there can be other contexts too. So travel, uh, for example, the things like that. Uh, but I, I kind of do a I want to. I don't know if it can be called a top down or a bottom up. I'm I'm very fortunate that I work for myself. I have a lot of freedom, and I've fought for that freedom over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I say no to a lot of projects that are time consuming, so I can have more time to think, more time to ideate, more time to create. Uh, but essentially, what I do is I have this master project list that I keep. And every day when I, you know, kind of plan out my three priorities for the day, uh, I'll also do the three priorities for the week as well. And I'll let those inform how I manage my time on a given day, given the constraints that I have on a given day. 
And so the constraints are informed by uh, the limits on my time, my attention, and my energy. Uh, some days there's just no time. And so you can't really have a lot of latitude with what you accomplish. Other days there's less attention because maybe we're buying a house <laughs> as Oof, we just did. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's less energy because who, who knows why? Maybe I'm doing a caffeine reset or something. Uh, and so you look at the, I look at the constraints. I see my capacity for accomplishment on a given day. And then I'll look at what I have the capacity to accomplish that day. And given that, you know, like you, I've kind of built up this awareness of just how long things take, mm-hmm. uh, how much energy they take, how much attention, how much time they consume. And within the boundaries of those constraints, I'll try to fit as much as I can into them while respecting how much uh, thinking things take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like uh, a buffer that I find I need to add in my day if I'm doing work that's really cognitive, which I try to optimize for because I love doing work that's cognitive, uh, writing, creating, that sort of thing. I'll make sure to introduce more buffer into my day, which from the outside in looks like laziness, but it, from the inside out, it's most definitely not. Uh, so yeah, my, my time management is entirely informed by my daily constraints, my daily uh, uh, capacity for accomplishment, uh, what I need to get done. And uh, I kind of let the projects dictate how I manage my time instead of my letting my time dictate what projects I take on. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the thinking through your constraints too, because that's part of my process when I think about planning my week. So when I plan my week ahead of time, I usually think, okay, I have we have these things going on, so I'm going to have to shift my time to other days or whatever. Yeah. Um, or I have a lot of meetings on a particular day. I shouldn't plan on getting a lot of dedicated research time if I have like eight hours of meetings or something. Yeah. And so I, that's definitely a huge part of managing your time is like being aware of what your constraints are. And a big thing I've gotten much better at is realizing the need for buffers, like the yeah. making sure you have some wiggle room in your calendar because nothing ever goes perfectly to plan. Sometimes specific tasks take longer. Sometimes you're just having an off day and maybe like there are days when it gets to three o'clock and I obviously haven't put in a full work day and I like, I can't focus anymore or I'm exhausted or something. And so I just make sure that the next day I make sure I have, I I make up the time blocks that I didn't get to. And so I, I think that's the nice thing about time dealer too, is you can make sure you're like, one of the things I always want to make sure is I'm putting in a certain number of hours on different tasks. Like I want to make sure I spend at least 20 hours a week on like writing and analysis. And I want to sh- make sure I spend a certain number of week hours on teaching, for example, right now, because that's, I'm in the teaching semester, mm-hmm. not for long, but I'm teaching just for a couple more weeks. But um, yeah, I mean, there are, the time dealer is nice where it keeps me kind of accountable for those specific, like I need to write and I need to do analysis to get tenure. Can you set minimums? Like yeah. targets? Yeah, oh, so, I, and, I haven't played with that. Oh yeah, yeah. So time is great. You can have like monthly and weekly goals. And so I have weekly oh, and monthly goals for both like, like how that. much dedicated research time. And that counts like time within certain categories. And mm. so I love that, which has been very helpful. And so I think thinking through your constraints yeah. and also allowing for buffers is just hugely <clears throat> valuable. One underrated constraint to consider, and this is... This may be something to try out if you have kind of the time management basics down, is thinking about time pressure. And so time pressure is something that affects the work that we do, especially the cognitive work that we do. Um, When there's more time pressure, we tend to be able to transition between different tasks Mm -hmm. more readily, um, but they they are more stress-inducing. 
And so if something has a lot of time pressure, I'll, I'll try to group it with other things that have time pressure. So I'll work mm. on something that has a tight, you know, you don't always have total control over this, obviously, because a lot of deadlines are other imposed as opposed to, to self-imposed. But I'll try to work on things that have time pressure associated with them uh, together so that can keep the momentum going, can switch between things more easily, and then use tasks that have less time pressure, like brainstorming, like creating new projects. Uh, use those on the more free days. Yeah, I love that. All right. All right. That'll do it. That'll do it. Wow. Sorry if we couldn't get to your question. If you sent us one and we didn't get to it, um, we just couldn't do everything. So thank you so much for... Sending them, but yeah, hopefully this was helpful or interesting or both. Or some some of each. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of each. A little bit of each. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it definitely makes it feel like people are listening when you see the number of listeners. You're like, wow, I can't believe that many people listen to this, which is awesome. Yeah. It's definitely nice to know people find this interesting. Up to so. 50 listeners. Very <laughs> Add several zeros, but yeah. <laughs> several? Oh, I, I wish. Maybe uh, then we'd have ads if we had uh, 500,000 listeners and episodes. That would be sweet. <laughs> no, but yeah, we are. Uh, we ultimately do the show for you. Yeah. Uh, to, to, for you that's listening. Uh, and if there's a way we can make the show more helpful, if there's a way we can make the show more interesting, chris at chrisbailey.com uh, is where you can shoot an email. And we're just grateful to have you along for the ride. Thank you all so much. Yeah, so finishing up, timeandattention.fm is where you can find the show notes and all the episodes of the pod. Thank you for listening. As always, it's an honor to have you join us on episode one. Hundo, baby. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. Now say it with vocal fry. No. No? Okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs>